0: Right, man, it is Wednesday. It's the track chat with the most known unknowns. I am coach Kyle. We got my boy Hassan Sent, my other guy, Mont Duncan, and a special guest, another Olympian, a gold medal, a gold medalist, but Dwight Phillips. Hey, what's up, man?
1: What's up, everybody? How y'all doing?
0: Cool. Well, look, man, we're gonna get right into it. Uh, for those, but really quick, for those that may not know Dwight. In my opinion, all right, and Lamont Stamps, please speak on it. I think the White Fillers was the most dominant long jumper after Carl Lewis during his time. So you have what six, five or six gold medals at Worlds and one bronze. You got five gold in Athens, five, five yeah.
1: world golds and
0: one bronze
1: and Olympic gold, exactly. World Cup, <laughs> world Cup gold.
0: a lot of gold, a lot of gold hardware. So. For anyone that wants to get on Wikipedia or Google or whatever, you'll see it's all gold and one bronze. So if there's not a domination during his time and his tenure, man, we are definitely in the presence of a living legend. But let's get right into it. So Hassan, this first one is on you. Pro track in the USA. Go ahead, man.
2: So, Dwight, you got an interesting take on kind of the steps that are needed to have uh, track and field be presented on a much more professional level, uh, being your time in the sport as an athlete, now as a coach, uh, could you shed some light on the mistakes that are currently being made and what we could do to um, move the needle uh, to more of a professional setting? So, you know, right now, if I pay $30 in my entry fee at Georgia Tech, there's a chance I get to run next to Justin uh, Gatlin if it just happens. How do we curb that? And move to what your thought process is on how professional track should be achieved.
1: Well, when you look at the overall scheme of track and field, and you know, all of you guys are NCAA coaches, and what I really admire about the NCAA is y'all vet through um, the various athletes before y'all get to the championships. So, you know, obviously, you go through the, the your conference championships then you go to your regionals and then your regionals you kind of eliminate those athletes that are just right on the cusp but not too good but and you kind of go into the ncaa with the best of the best athletes well when you look at the olympic games or the world championships um, we have some of the best athletes but we don't have all of the best athletes and the unique part about the ncaa is when you get there there may be I'm just gonna throw out names. It may be five people in the finals from Texas A&M. You may have four people from LSU in the women's or men's 100 meter finals, and it makes the it's the best of the best at the meet. And that's why you're in and you're out. The NCAA championships is one of the best meets, not only in the United States but in the world. And I feel that a lot of athletes that are just right on the precipice of taking their performances to the next level um, in the United States, they have to retire early. Um, When you look at the NCAA meet, you run 10.03 and you don't make it to the finals, but that same 10.03 in France, that same 10.03 in um, England, that same 10.03 in other parts of the world is going to give you an opportunity to make it to the Olympic finals. And I feel that, you know, Sports is not geared to be fair. Like The Olympic Games, is, the infrastructure of it is completely amateur, um, and I think we have to move away from that. Um, I think we should adopt a system much like uh, tennis or, or golf so you can vet through um, the best of the best, and you bring them into the championship, and you just let the best of the best win and may the best man or woman win. Oh, yeah. So, so, so
2: just to describe, what, what is tennis and what does golf do just so you could apply it to track and
1: field? Well, you know, they have major championships. Um, and, you know, for I use the U Open, for example, when they go to tennis. Now, a lot of athletes will do want to go to the Olympics and, you know, share that camaraderie, um, be, you know, show, show their patriotism, uh, show how patriotic they are towards their – their country but um, at the end of the day it's a business and I think if you have to compare for a tennis person the Olympic Games or the US Open a Grand Slam I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that a tennis player would probably want to win that Grand Slam a little bit more because the payout is gonna be astronomical um, you look at the NBA players they go and play in the Olympics because it's cute but you know <laughs> it's a cute thing to do but at the end of the day, they want to bring home that NBA championship because that's the professional side of the sport. So we've been presented in such a way that it's we're amateurs. So even the general consensus from the people is, what do you do when it's not Olympic year? You know. So that's a question we get asked year in and year out. And I think that we can change that narrative if we did present it in a fashion similar to tennis or golf. Gotcha. Thanks. Right. So, Dwight,
0: I know I'm here in Atlanta with you, uh, and I've definitely seen some things that you have going on. As a matter of fact, you have your shirt on now. So tell us a little bit more about the Winter Circle and some of the things that you know. Once you move back here, and what you kind of what you're trying to create, and
1: then what you're trying to do to move the sport forward here in Atlanta. Well, you know, I was a chairman of the Athlete Advisory Committee for the USA Track and Field, and and when I took that position. Um, it taught me a lot about the unknowns in the sport. You know, as an athlete, all you're thinking about is being the very best, being the best in the world. And you're doing that at any cost. You're making a tremendous amount of sacrifices, but you don't really understand those the things that are going on behind the scenes, what makes it happen, um, and how we can make the sport better. Because really I think it's in the interest of the powers to be for it, for athletes not to know, um, so that we can continue to, to live in this antiquate way of doing things in our sport. So, um, in the winter circle, I started just to give those athletes, uh, an opportunity that would normally retire from a sport, just give them an extra chance to train with professional, um, training and, um, having a presentation where I can present track and field meets to help them take their performances to the next level, to give them just a little bit more time to develop um so they can be the best version of themselves. Because um Haizan, he saw me come through the ranks and I wouldn't say I was the very best. You know, I, I would say that I was a, a later bloomer. Um, I wasn't an NCAA champion. I wasn't a state champion in the long jump. I won in the 400. Um, but, you know, because I had, a really good coach post-collegiately that kind of took me under his wings and um, allowed me to, to train with him free of cost. Uh, eventually, three years afterwards, you know, I, I left my mark in the history books and became Olympic gold medalist. And I want to, you know, kind of return that favor and help the up-and-coming athletes um, do the same thing. Not only that, but also just develop a robust system here in the United States so that our 10.03 guys and our 26.10 guys and our 5, 400-meter runners, you know, they don't have to retire. Maybe we can buy them a little bit more time so that they can reach their maximum potential.
0: Gotcha. All right, man, so we're going to change speeds a little bit. Uh, Lamont, this ain't East Coast versus West Coast rap beef or nothing like that, but it's definitely East Atlanta versus L.A so this is another one of her son's things so the white take us back in the day uh i'm the young gun so i have no idea you know what was going on but i think this should ring a bell okay, so, I'm, so, gonna put, I'm
1: gonna put it God out there i mean it, it was this great runner out of la you know with the john muir i think everybody knows him he, played, he ran for the la jets by the name of william obi moore he had he held every national age group record probably from the 100 to the 800. The guy had incredible range. And, you know, we were some guys coming from East Atlanta, Um, myself, Angelo Taylor, Kareem Williams, and uh, Antonio Partridge. We decided that we were going to team up together and um, try to just break the national record, Um, not knowing at the time, you know, we just felt we were confident that we lined up against anybody. We could beat anybody in the world and so it was a big showdown between the la jets and the la the la jets and east atlanta and you know angelo taylor he gets the stick about i want to say about 10 meters ahead of obi moore on the anchor and i just never forget down the bat stretch uh obi moore was like a, a celebrity the whole backstretch just screaming OB OB OB. And I just recall Kareem's dad. He was video recording the meet, and, you know, and the last 150, he was just said, not today, not today, not today. But you know, everybody was wondering like how, why didn't he catch him? Why didn't OB more catch Andrew Taylor? I mean, this is our two time Olympic gold medalist. We didn't know it at the time, but, um, you know i would have never envisioned you know us two becoming olympic gold medalists and uh leaving our names in the history books but i think that was the starting point um of us leaving a huge legacy here in atlanta and on the east side All right
2: and and i and i remember that cuz i was 16 years old at that usa track and field nationals down in houston texas and because we knew kind of what the secret sauce was it was like you know obi is gonna do this obi is gonna do that and i was like nah i don't think y'all know what's, what's going on over there on that side and i just stood there like prophet. people were like how did you know uh and it, it was just that was one of those moments in my life where i was like Man, i'm always going to represent for atlanta georgia uh and all that kind of stuff and the last thing i wanted to add on that and i'll be done is is how do you think athletes from georgia compare when you start talking about the top track states, uh, Georgia, Texas, Florida, Like, where do you feel like Georgia athletes that are on the top end fit in the national scene amongst high school?
1: I mean, I think Georgia is right at the top. I mean, I think when you look at the weather, the lack thereof of coaching in a lot of areas, and you see the performances that come out of this state, it's amazing. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, and I think that we can battle with Anybody, anywhere, really in the world, you know, these kids are, I mean, when you look at just look at it, Christian Coleman, look at it, Christian Taylor, you know, the world record in the 100, the, one, the 110 hurdles, Aries. You got myself, you got Angela, you got the Glenn Torrances, you got the BD Trotters, you got so many incredible athletes that have, you know, left their mark on the sport. And, you know, they're still developing. know it's still every year year in and year out and kyle you can attest to it you can find you recruit here in georgia and you can find those diamonds in the rough that no one's ever heard of or seen and you can develop them you're like where did this person come from every year you see it year in and year out
0: Uh, i think i think andre 3000 said it best man the south the south got something to say you know we've been having (laughs) something to say and we're going to stay on their necks, man so that's what. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So, um, one more thing from me, and then Lamont, please chime in if you want to. But I gotta ask this: for all of the world championships that you have, and that, that great stint that you had, what happened in 2008 Olympics? 2012, yeah. 2012
1: Olympic Games. Well, you know it's so hard to sustain that level of of um, competition for you know consecutive years in a row, and you know for me mine started in 2002 so 2002 three four five you know and six you know i was the most dominant in the world and honestly the the complacency set in just being candid i got i took my foot off the gas uh i just felt that i was entitled to win and you know that the athletes were just gonna see me and be in fear and you know just roll over and allow me to win but the reality is that's not what happened um you know i started partying a little bit stuff that i didn't do in college i just took that time to you know just let my hair down and have a good time and and that's why in 2007 i really didn't deserve to even win a bronze medal honestly you know the way i i behaved during that time and then the injuries and when you behave like that you get injuries so in 2008 i strained i had a a tear in my abdominal muscle that it almost it kept me out of olympics So you know i didn't train three months leading up and i was like two centimeters shy i finished fourth at the olympic trials so i considered after 2008 just retiring because i was like 30 years old 30 i'll be turning 30 or 31 no 2008 i was turning 31 that that year and i felt that i had accomplished everything i could and you know then i had a coach uh, paul doyle he was one of my former coaches he suggested i should you know allow Lawrence Seagrave to train me you know i talked to him i told him i think about it he said i think that you still have a lot of good years left in you you know if, if you're willing to put in the work and so i rededicated myself i lost the weight i cut out all the nonsense and i came back and won the world championships and i had my best year ever I ran my fastest i jumped my furthest that year in 2009 um i'm 32 years old so i 2010 i was dominant 2011 i won the world championships again was ranked number one in the world again and 2012 january 2nd 2012 i ruptured my achilles so that was one of the most defeating days of my life because i felt that you know, that was going to be the Olympics where, you know, I wanted to retire, retire with the gold and leave an even bigger mark of history for my legacy. But unfortunately, that's not how it was destined for me. And I ruptured the Achilles. I came back the following year in 2013 and I finished in the finals in Moscow. And I decided that that was it for me. I felt that I didn't want to feel the pain. I didn't want to hurt. I just didn't want to train at that level anymore, so I hung those spikes up high, high and proud, and um, I never envisioned myself in a million years uh, accomplishing, you know, a quarter of what I did, Um, and I just, I gave my best efforts every single day, and, you know, I'm proud of it. That's good,
0: man. I've, and I've been seeing you back in the gym lately. You look like you're trying to get ready for the combine, like throwing up, <laughs> you know, 10, 12 times. So, man, yo, so, man,
1: I got up to 17 times here in the 225, man. You know, trying to put my line back work in, see if I can get a little trial for <laughs> <by> the Falcons <thousands laughs> or something, man. Who knows? Cool.
0: <laughs> Lamont, you got anything for my guy? Because I know he got to get out of here.
3: Um, So, two questions. Do you feel that you could have broken that world record? Honestly. Do you well, feel that you could have you could have jumped past the 890 was it 8 what, the world record is 890 895? Do you feel that you could have broken that world record at the peak of your dominance? Well, I That's the first question. Mm-hmm.
1: I definitely feel that I was capable of breaking the world record um, actually, when I jumped my personal best, the unfortunate part for me was I had a negative 1.2 headwind in my face. So when mm. I jumped 874, um, I think there was in my career, there was a period of about six weeks in 2009. I, I felt that at any given time, I could have done something incredible. I was in the shape of my life, I so I was in sub 10 type of shape maybe nine eight shape and my coach had to pull me back from running the hundred at nationals because I trained with Ta- Travis Paget at the time and he was a nine eight guy and I mean I was just destroying everybody. And he's like, let's just focus on the jumps, the so focus on the jumps. And it was a period of about six weeks in my career where I felt that I was prepared mentally and physically to break the world record. But you know mm. the stars didn't align that way, so I hope that I can train Marquise Goodwin to break it or something like that. That's what's up. So hold uh, on, my, my last.
0: One. My bad. Just real quick for the people, for because the White just mentioned a negative one point four win. So for the people out there that don't know, imagine that you're trying to move forward going one direction, but somebody's literally like blowing hard wind or pulling on your shirt to pull you back the other direction. And he still jumped very, very far. I just had to throw that out there.
3: My bad, Lamont. All right. So my last question is, I'm going to be honest. And me, I usually like to rattle the cage a little bit. I think you were the last great American long jumper. Well, I think the middle show that you were the last great American long jumper. Do you see, can you pinpoint where the U.S. has Fell off in the dominance area, like remember when it was Myricks, Lewis, you know, it was all these people that was jumping. And you you had great competition in your own country, but right now we're seeing a tremendous dive on the performance in 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 the men's long jump. What do you think that? What do you think contributes to that? And do you see a resurgence in in the men's long jump? Well honestly what i think
1: i think a lot of our best jumpers are dabbling sprinting they're running 100 in the 200. um it's the glory events and you know we have a lot of guys that are went in high school i was i jumped 23 feet six inches in high school right um Mm. there are guys out there that are running nine nine and ten flat that jump damn near my feet in high school they jumped 24 in high school and they get to college and maybe it's the lack of information from the coaches that don't know how to develop them or they see that they're more valuable in the sprints. And, you know, we lose a lot of great jumpers to the sprints. Um, I mean, you look at like Jerry and Lawson, I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal sprinter, great jumper, uh, Jeff Henderson. He's a great sprinter, great jumper. Um, even Marquise Goodwin, the same. Um, Marquise Dendy, I think that he's a uh, super, I mean, I think that kid has great potential bearing it if he isn't injured. But I think it's been the lack of information, uh, not properly training the athletes as well. We're just relying solely on speed and not the other nuances that help take the athletes to the next level. Um, so there are a myriad of just different reasons why I feel that the athletes aren't um, jumping as far. And then the rest of the world, they have that same information that we have now. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I think the rest of the world, they're taking that information and they're utilizing it and they're specializing in it earlier. Um, they're developing the coordination a lot earlier than we are. And as a result, it shows in the performance. So I think there are a lot of different reasons why. But the number one is um, I think the, the our sprinters are just deciding to focus on the sprints instead of jumps.
3: Right. Well, let me just go on and tell you now that you are probably not probably top two greatest low jumpers in, in the history of the sport. The medals, you know, the accolades, you know, when you moonlight it in indoors and you ran 6-4 you know you know you you and carl you right there carl lewis is probably and we're all going to give carl lewis respect based on what he did longevity wise but your resume ranks right up there too. you got five world championships that's hard to do you know so you know so you're you're right there you and carl lewis you and the echelon you two sit on the throne of long jump greatness and you know it, it's it's definitely good to hear from you you know you and i we've We've seen each other in the past. We've known each other, you know, yeah. over the years, man, stuff like that. So it's great to sit back in and definitely um get to hear your story and and um definitely appreciate your greatness, man. And thank you for everything you did in, in, in our sport, man. Thank
1: you. Well, I appreciate you too, uh, Lamont, man. You know, we've been around. I've seen you around the block flying down that track. And um, <laughs> I'm glad we were able to all catch up and, you know, kind of revisit some of those special moments.
0: All right, so before I let you go, White man, we got a question that just came in, if you don't mind answering. So it's from uh, Nate Scales. Do you think the U.S. can go back to placing their emphasis in the jumps and develop them to keep them in the jumps and not straight to the sprints?
1: Well, I think the U.S., I think that's a very good question. Um, I think the U.S., I don't necessarily think we should stray away from sprinting. I think they can coexist together because – the faster you are the easier it is for you to jump in my opinion so because you're you're explosive and you can just teach an athlete to have that coordination especially if they did it in high school um but i I do feel that um they can coexist together and i think that we can bring that dominance back i think we have to continue to share the information and not hoard hoard the information um what i've learned that some coaches just want to hoard the information and not share but there are a lot of great coaches that, that love to share. And, um, and I'm one of those coaches. If I see something or I find something out, like I'll try to share with as many people as possible because the ultimate goal is for us to defy human limitation. And you know if somebody can do it, I think that we can as a whole uh, share the information and make the US you know even better in that space.
0: I appreciate that. So before we let you go, man, the last thing that we do uh, is give out roses. So, of course, with us being the most known unknowns, we try to, you know, shout out people that may not normally get that shout out. You know, they may not be a household name. So if there is anyone out there, man, that you come across in your life have been influential, now is your time to give them their roses while they're still here.
1: Man, you know what, man? The most influential people in my life, Honestly, um, I, I would have to say is my dad. It was my mom. She passed last year. but my, my parents, they've just been an inspiration for me because they believed in me when no one else did. And it, I think that's how most parents are. They're going to believe in you and believe in your dreams and push you to fulfill those dreams and hold you accountable to those dreams. And I'm grateful that I had a person like that, like my father and my mom, to do so. Um you know I'm going to give you a quick story um 2000 Olympics I I finished 8th place and then you know I would say a few weeks later I get a call and it's hello this is um this is Carl Lewis and um I want to speak to Dwight Phillips and I'm sitting here and I'm like like I'm shook I'm like you know damn like what's going on why is he calling how did he get my number and so Carl gets on the phone he's like hey uh, I was just calling to let you know, man, what you did in um, and, and, and Sydney is unacceptable. It's, it's completely unacceptable. You know, when when we go to the Olympics, we win gold. And I'm like, yes, sir. I was like, okay. I was like, well, you know, I took it as a challenge because I felt that he saw something in me that he maybe felt that I could take that throne. So that call motivated me more than anything in the world. And I, I felt it was my responsibility to uphold that tradition because up to that point we had only lost the olympics maybe three times in the history of the event and you know i brought it back home and i'm glad now that jeff henderson you know he brought it back home for us in 2016 and and this time you know hopefully i want to train i'm going to train marquis goodwin or somebody else in my group to bring that goal back home again cool see now man i I know we, but
0: look, I got to ask you this because we brought it up with Justin Gatlin as far as like passing the torch. Um, So, but it sounds like those conversations that Carl had with you, they don't happen enough. You know, so are you outside of the people that you coach or other people that you know, are these conversations actually happening? Because we feel as though like they don't happen. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, anybody from the United States If there's some information that I can give to help them be better, I'm going to do it because I feel that's part of my responsibility. You know, so even Jeff, you know, Jeff, I, I like actually when I gave him a coaching tool while I was competing against him, you know, and this was back in 2013, he would have made the Olympic 2013. He would have made the world championship team that year. He wasn't utilizing his speed, right? And I gave him a clue in between the 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 prelims and the finals of the long jump. There's that little intermission they have in between flights. I was like, hey, I want you to try this out when you go back out. You're just running too quick, too soon, so just be more patient. He did it. He set a personal record, like a big-time personal record. He jumped like 821, and he got out. He was like, that really worked. I was like, yeah, it worked. And I was like, I knew that he was going to be special from that moment onward, so. I feel it's a part of all of our responsibility to help and not hoard that information. Like I said, without a doubt,
0: without a doubt, man. But look, the white man, we've enjoyed you so much, man. Thanks for joining the show. You're welcome to come back anytime. I know once these tracks open up and I can be out and about, uh, <laughs> I get yeah. back out there with y'all, man, but we appreciate it, man. So enjoy yourself. You have a good evening.
1: Hey, the same to you, hey, gentlemen. You wanna... man. Thank you, Hassan. Salute. Jonathan, salute. Hey, Kyle, i see you, baby boy. Right, be
0: man. easy now. Appreciate it, man. All right. All right. Cool. So, for if you're just joining us, man, this is Track Chat with the most known unknowns we just had, Olympian Dwight Phillips on, gold medalist from 2004. Uh, but now it's, it's our time. If you are joining us, feel free to like, comment, send in questions. Only rule, though, we won't tolerate any disrespect on our show. So
3: definitely uh, definitely send me
0: questions. To so just gotta put that out there. We are just here to have fun, have a good time, entertain, and educate. So top first topic on the board. We gotta deal with it. So division two, II, division three, they've essentially like they've canceled fall sports across the board. Should D one follow suit? You want me to take
3: that one?
2: I don't think they will. Uh I'm you you can't. I just only have one sound bite. Uh, I, think, I think they're going to they're gonna start, but they're going to end up stopping because outbreaks are going to happen, too much missing of uh, uh, forfeit, forfeiture and things like that. But I think the NCAA is going to take the, 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 the guinea pigs of Division of, of One and allow some, some, some soccer matches to happen, some cross-country races to go down, and a football game or three will get played. That's my call. That's what I'm sticking
3: um, to. They need to cancel. They just need to cancel it because there are people out here dying. Um, this coronavirus thing has exposed a lot of weaknesses in every structure that we have in this in this country, especially on the college level. Like, you know, We're worried about the money aspect and literally there are people putting the money ahead of the well-being of these kids, these staff members, faculty, student body, you name it. There's so many people that can can get affected by this. You know, Division 2 and Division 3, they say, listen, man, we're not having it. Okay, we're not having it. We're not about the money. And even though the money is good, let's be honest, is it really worth the life uh, of a student athlete? For somebody who got asthma, somebody who got, somebody who got some kind of ailment that, can, that, can, that, this, that this virus can do to them. And we don't have all the information about it. I mean, there's long-term effects with this as well. So do I feel that the fall sports need to be canceled? Yes, just, just for safety measures. Just, I'd rather be safe and deal with the ramifications of everyone being angry than being sorry, and then you gotta deal with more on top of more, you know what I'm saying, issues that's gonna come with it by making a bad decision based on monetary reasons.
0: I, I, I agree with both, with both of you guys because my, my concern has always been this, uh, and my, my supervisors and I, we, we kind of share the same thoughts. You don't, you don't wanna be that program that has to make that phone call to their family.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like, that's what you – you don't want to be that program, you know. Um, And also, and then for me, from a competitive standpoint, it's going to be like an asterisk season. You know, how are you going to have 10% of the population, you know, competing and the other 90% isn't? You know, yes. now, hands down, I, I definitely i want to i want to get to it, but by
3: all means, like safety first, you know. And and let's talk about and let's talk about this from a track and field perspective. Okay, so you're gonna have some conferences running the cross country season, and then the other conferences running the spring with no championship to go for. Now you're asking, you're literally asking. The second largest team on most campuses to run an indoor season. During that indoor season, they want some of the they want us to run on Wednesday for cross country and run an indoor meet Friday and Saturday. This is some conferences I know that's even thrown that out there. So you want us to run three seasons? A matter of four and a half, almost five months. That's too much to ask for these kids. That's putting them in too much harm's way. That's putting them around too many people too just just like look if the fall sports can't compete in the fall that's okay guess what we couldn't compete in the spring and we had to deal with it if football can't play oh well too bad so sad you'll get over it it gives you enough time to get your grades up and do something other than do something other than worry about football you know what i'm saying i mean i'm just being honest i mean we baseball softball us everyone we have to take that lick so football and every and all the other sports or this is going to take that lick. It's okay. We have to deal with it. Your health matters. Everyone has to deal with that and we just move on, man. Like it's not that complicated. But it also goes to show that those voting privileges, and I don't want to get all no political. Those voting privileges stop take stop 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 on um, playing with that. Stop playing with that. Now, you're uh, right there at that. Well, well Lamont,
0: <laughs> even, even without being too political, that that part there frustrates me why we just can't have a uniform decision. Just have a uniform decision right. across the board. And I and I say that because I've now had to, I mean, shoot, I've I've changed, I've changed our cross-country schedule shoot three times at this point because that's a part of me continuing to do my job and turn in X, Y, and Z. But now the added thing is: well, if if this meet doesn't have the same COVID-19 policy as the one that is set by this conference or our conference, then you can't go there. It's not uniform. Like it's so a headache. So, so that, but
2: this is why. Remember, the main thing in dissension is to confuse and deploy, uh, and deploy, or is to uh, is is to confuse that the main. Thing when you're trying to change a narrative is to have conflicting facts. We can all be conspiracy theorists. We could all just be active observers of how our government moves and operates. And what you just said, Kyle, is the exact reason why a game is going to be played, a match is going to be played, cross-country race is going to be ran. Because the NCAA, as the functional Sheriff's Office of the of Collegiate Athletics 100% has the capacity to shut it all down and they haven't and they won't. And the fact that they haven't and the fact that they won't is, is exactly why they're going to, because their interest isn't in the people. It isn't in the staffs on uh, colleges and universities. It isn't on the student athletes in colleges and universities. It isn't on, we're, we're in such a rabbit hole, the sunken place, we can't curve the numbers right now because people just won't mask up. Like, you know, in New Zealand, they're like back to life as normal because their government is different than our government. Their people are different than our people. And they've been able to curb and damn near eradicate said virus so people aren't imposed. So people don't feel imposed in their personal life and personal setup. I was just informed uh, yesterday in an article that came out here in Johnson City that they're they're like shutting down two of our full dorms. Y'all ready for this? For quarantine quarters. They know kids are going to get sick. So they say, hey, we're going to make sure when the kids are sick that are here, we can remove them from where they're at on campus, put them here in this place. Let them quarantine their 14 days and then ease them back into, you know, contact, trace them back into into the population of student body. (laughs) I'm
0: I'm, I'm I'm laughing because. I'll I'll give credit to every single person for trying because none of us have experienced this before, but I'm also laughing because the most simplistic thing to do, man, shut it, just shut it down. Like just shut it down. What's up? We, we,
3: we, We are all, we are all old enough to, to know what this is all about. It's about money. It's about money. They haven't figured out a way how to recoup that football money. That's why they're still pushing sports. Yeah. But the Pac 12, but going, but but the Pac 12. I'm gonna put it up. up. Go ahead. Okay. So the Pac-12 reportedly, this is reportedly, it came out on Bleacher Report this morning. They are reportedly about to embark on one of the largest loans ever known to mankind in order to in order to offset. I guess think what they're gonna do is. They're going to look at what each program in the conference brings in yearly. Take the average of what, I guess, the last five years, and they're going to see, like, say, if Stanford brings in on the average, say, they bring in 64 million. They're going to try to get them 64 million. And then they're going to try to get USC 83 million, like something like that, just to offset the cost that they're going to end up losing. Now, you know, all the TV revenues and this and the third that, that these conferences are going to get, they could make that money up back next year. They can give that money back and it's all good. So my question is, why haven't this been put out there sooner? Why hasn't anyone been out there trying to get this done in order to save the lives of these young individuals who they want to go out there and put out there and risk their life for? Remember, they're not getting paid. (laughs) You know, they're not getting paid to go out there and risk life and limb. So they're not. so So, so Lon, one of the answers
2: to your question you just asked, I kind of read between the lines of an article and something that I didn't even know I found out today. Uh, so the NCAA from top to bottom has every bit of, of of influence in basketball, Hence why that's their baby. Hence why if Mount March Madness doesn't happen, you know, hair's on fire. Twelve along fires, like ish, ain't gonna be right. Because well, college
3: football is completely separate
2: entity, right? Isn't so, it? college football and the powers that be, and this is why the Power Fives and these this, this talk of succession from whoever had planted a seed that this is the move that we need to we need to forecast. So, whenever the first billion dollar TV deal came ten or fifteen years ago, they cut it with the conferences and excluded the NCAA. In the in the in the litigation of setting up the T V network deals, it was distributed straight to the conferences and the NCAA doesn't see any of that TV money at the level that they ultimately should because there was wording that that, that put it into the into the conferences very different than what the deal is with basketball. So the NCAA and their powers to be drop the ball. Their, their legal side dropped the ball. And now they're like cutting their nose to spite their face because all's well and ends well in business. These power fives that wanna play football and it looks like they're gonna play football could potentially use this COVID as that uh, preface to, to bounce or to say, we're gonna play because here's what our deal is. NCAA, you can't tell us, you can't tell us what not to do more or less. So that's that answers that. And I just
3: found that out today. Wow. Good info. Good info. Good information, man. You gotta figure this out. It, true. And then
0: taking a couple of steps back to, to your point, Lamont, with the loans. My my question is this. Why is it you take you take forward, they they've been selling vehicles for a long time. What I don't understand is the the people that Tend to have the dollars; they keep needing to get bailed out. But I know for a cross country program, you can give me ten grand; we can make it work. (laughs) I I can get you through the year, ten grand. And probably, I probably hand you. I might hand you five grand back, to be honest.
3: My cross country, my cross country program, we use a grand total. You ready? We use a grand total of fifty-two hundred dollars. So don't tell me.
0: It's, you know, bailout from our country program. I'll say this, and that's always been my – I'm going to always fight for the little guy, no pun intended. But uh, someone I had a conversation with someone about two weeks ago, and as as real as it was, it was a hard pill to swallow, but they were like, look, you need to understand – well, first, figure out your place in life, understand your role, and then just go in your little corner and make the best life out of it that you can. And I say that because all we're getting, all we're getting exposed to, no matter if it's real-life sports or whatever, we are track and field cross-country coaches, so we already know what it is to be treated as such. And we always have to make the best out of this little life that we've been given. You know, but I can't go that. I, I'm not going down without a fight, not swinging. I, I honestly don't understand if, if that loan goes through for the Pac-12 or for any other school that has had the means to really make a lot of money. I just don't. I don't get
3: why the little people don't get saved, man. I, I will. I will say this, and I'm going to continue to repeat this: these athletic directors from Division One all the way down to NAIA, at some point. We all have to take the money that we bring in, and these ADs have to have endowment funds for the athletic department and then endowments for each program so they can survive. It, it, it's, it's, I know for a fact because it takes 55000 to start one here, which is why, which is what I was starting to do here. But my, my biggest fundraiser just got shut down because the kids aren't allowed on campus. So I already had everything in place where we're gonna get the endowment started and so on and so forth. And if anything happens, track and field is gonna be untouchable because we can support ourselves. It's kind of similar to Eastern Michigan. Um, I know the men's program up there got a crazy endowment, you know, which is which is why every time you see the Mac, these schools are getting cut. The Eastern Michigan would never get touched. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, um, because you know Coach Parks, you know Coach Parks who did a fantastic job. While he was there, while he's at the helm, made sure that that program is gonna always stay afloat. So that's what I believe should be the next phase. Once we come out of this, I believe that we need to be in the situation where these athletic directors and these presidents gotta we gotta put their feet to the fire. They got to really raise money for sports other than football. Okay, take that money. Say hey, here's a million for this sport. Here's a million for that sport. Here's a million for that sport. This is y'all endowment. Y'all can't touch it. it have to sit over it for a year, let it accrue, and then let it just build up, build up, build up, build up. Now it gets to a point where now you can start taking little things, oh, taking things away from the school that come that from the sport that come from the school, and they can survive off of that, and the teams can survive. You ain't got to worry about hearing, oh, this school got cut, oh, this team got cut, oh, another team got cut. We don't have to hear that anymore. So I believe that this got to be a wake up call for all the athletic directors to get on their grind and start bringing, bringing that money. And remember that you have other kids other than football and basketball. All right, you got other children too. All right, you got the rapper. Okay, you got the little hustler. All right, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got the little you got the little Instagram model known as known as track and field. You know you 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 got you got other kids. I got different personalities. I got that got needs too. So they have to do that, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Chuck just sent the link uh for it too. So I'll make sure I send it to you guys once we get finished. Uh starting to get closer to that hour, but we still got like 15 minutes left. Lamont, even though we didn't discuss this, I know you're dealing with it currently. So I definitely want your take and your feelings because you just mentioned it. Uh, your athletes don't get to come back to campus. Mm-hmm. So uh, how are you feeling about it? What, what is and you may not have even had enough time to process what your fall is going to look like. But what is your fall going to look like now?
3: Well, for me, what I did was I've contacted all my kids. I also contacted their high school coaches and their club coaches. I contacted the coaches that they trust because, you know, a lot of those kids got high school coaches and they got club coaches. So I asked them, who do you trust the most? They were like, yo, I trust my high school coach. Y'all want to do my club coach. So what I'm doing is I have the workouts already, already processed and I'm going to send it to them. I'm going to be in communication with not just their coaches weekly, but with the team weekly, and so they know what to do. I'm going I'm to simplify everything as much as I can. I'm going to simplify everything as I can and just, hand, and just give it to them, and we're going to talk at the end of the week. And some of the kids, we can talk at the end of the week, see how their practices went, and then we go from there. But I have to be very detailed on that. The weight room thing, if they don't have a coach present, or somebody that I know I ain't got to worry. Oh my God. that That's my biggest concern is the weight room. That's my biggest concern. You know, so this is where I'm going to have to lean on my brothers, you, Stamps, you know, I'm going to have to lean on y'all, which is why we got our chitlin circuit coming up. I got to lean on y'all to make sure that, you know, we can do things that's going to make sure that these kids are going to be safe and they're going to be okay. But that's my, that's my initial plan right now. And my, my assistant coaches, they got their plans together and just gonna we're just gonna
0: do the best we can right now mentally though how, how you gonna feel and I bring that in we might have to do an episode on this so I've been able to talk to a few coaches just during the pandemic and it really has touched on some people you know like throwing them off of their normal routine uh you know shoot whether it be gaining weight like it it does affect people so mentally though like what's your headspace as you're going into the fall now because what I can say and I'm still young, but my, I feel like my athletes keep me young. And I feel like athletes keep coaches young. Like, it gives right. us so much energy, you know, and so
3: much to do. So what about that piece for you? Um, I'm, I'm taking it day by day, man. Like, I'm honestly taking it day by day. Um, I saw all their faces this morning. Um, it was great to see them. Um, I told them how much I missed them. They know how much I miss them. Um, I told them I would never let anything happen to them. I let something happen to me before I let it happen to them. You know they had their questions, but they understood. You know what I'm saying? But you know, me and my assistant coaches, man, we talk weekly, and we're just trying to make it do what it do, man. It, it's 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 going to be different, but this is where we're gonna have to we're gonna have to dig within ourselves and find. That, that, that person that used to be the athlete, you know how we used to have to dig deep. Like when Stamps got hurt at the NCAA championship, he had to dig deep, man. You had to dig deep. I had moments where I had to dig deep. Now we have to dig deep and find it within ourselves to get through this because remember, we're the head of the snake. So we can't crack. Even though we are human beings, we have to stay strong. And we, we gonna need our outlets and we just gotta become creative with what we do. I know that I was told that if I got any kids that's in Charlotte, they're allowed to train. So I will still have some kind of sense of something, you know what I'm saying? But the vast majority of my kids is from out of state. So I have, uh, so I figured out, I figured out a way how to, to to navigate through this. But I'm gonna take it day by day, man. What about y'all? Uh,
0: well, real quick before I, before I say that, uh, with the number on that loan, nine hundred ninety-six million dollars. If all twelve teams opt in, so basically a B, one billion dollars for a loan. I
3: yeah. got it. <laughs> like, Swing something that my way. Hey, did we get any questions, man?
0: Huh? Did we uh, get any? No. Questions? Uh, I think because they they come in so fast. Let me scroll a little real fast because we got like ten minutes. And I, I have my team. I do hey, my meetings on Wednesday night. Hey,
3: hey, hey! Remember I told you if we have to do two or three minutes over, it's okay. No, I just want
0: to hear some of the questions. No, no, no. I'm saying, I, I have my team meeting tonight. Oh, well, we good. Oh! <laughs> I, I, do my t- I do two a week. I do one on Wednesday, one on, I mean, yeah, Wednesdays and Sundays. We did yeah. have one earlier, so it's from Nate Jerome. Uh, There's a vaccine in production, so how do we feel about that? So I want to take this one. All right. <laughs> Unless I get sick and it's
2: confirmed that I have COVID, that's the only way any of that's dealing with me. Uh, I never, I never took the flu. I never took the flu vaccine. Uh, I just found out that the letter that my mom kept giving me every time, like I went to college, like we, I never got measles, mumps, uh, uh, chicken pox, none of that. So my mom was a real live anti vaxxer So uh, I'm I'm not knocking nobody that does. Um, but again, I don't I don't feel like I should. I should inject myself with anything if I don't get it, if if my antibodies or my immune system has been able to fight it off. And I constantly have this like anxiety now that I'm in the store that like or when I'm anywhere, it's like somebody around here has got this stuff. Somebody's got it. And, you know, I I just wonder if I can keep my distance enough to where there's not uh, the droplets. I have a friend that's an epidemiologist at Vanderbilt. Uh, She's not working on the covid team, but some of her colleagues are. And she was like, the main reason the face coverings, you know, are important is just because of the, you know, again, the droplets, the mist, anything that comes out, somebody spitting and talking. Um, but it's, it's not airborne to the sense to where, like, if you've seen the movie Outbreak, where old oh boy coughs in the movie theater and all this stuff goes out there and then everybody gets it, it ain't that. So, you know, uh, yes, it's highly contagious, but, you know, you definitely need to make sure you're, you're wiping your hands down and disinfecting uh, but yeah, vaccine-wise, I'll I take it if I have to um, after I get it. But if I don't have it, you're not putting it in me.
3: Let, let me let me tell you something. I'm gonna keep mine very short. If this comes from the guy who sits in the White House, I am not taking it. I ain't. I'm not. I ain't taking. Okay, it. y'all can take it for how y'all want to take it. I ain't taking it.
0: <laughs> so, I'm not taking it, man. I'll, Straight, I'm not taking it, and if I'm gonna just leave it there, cause I don't want to say. <laughs> like I'm not. I'm not taking. It. But look, so moving on. Lamont is is your time. Don't debate me on this. Let's go.
3: Here we go. Here we go. So I put up a list of the all-time greatest schools in the four by one. We okay. Now. Now, <clears throat> let's get through this real quickly. All right. So. At number ten, I had Arizona State. Hold at on, hold on. Had,
0: what what are your parameters? What were your parameters?
3: Historically, historically. So, how many times they made the NCAA finals? Um, national championships won. You know, all American honors. You know, just 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 a level of consistency. You know, so that's what I was looking at. Right. So, historically, I had Arizona State at number ten i had texas at number nine i had texas a&m at number eight i had ucla at number seven i had the tennessee volunteers at number six i had houston at number five i had florida at number four okay i had lsu at number three i had tcu at number two and i had usc at number one now here's the issue that i've been running into people's wondering well why isn't TCU number one? Why isn't Florida number one? This and the third. Okay. Why is USC number one? If you look, USC has made 26, I believe 26 to 28 finals. USC broke the record twice. USC also held the world record, which is the last collegiate team to set a world record in that particular relay. Okay. That's why they're number one. All right. The reason why TCU is number two, is because TCU had a stretch of dominance throughout a decade and a half. Like anybody who knew track and field, there was two things that we knew. When when, when you said a relay back in the 80s and 90s, when you said relay, you know who you said? TCU and Baylor. You you, you just knew off it. Those are their reason you had to go through them, they ordered to beat them. Then you had LSU, then you had the rise of the LSU men's program. LSU had a stretch where they were always in the finals, they ran 38-24, which they were second behind TCU 38-04, which also gives, which also puts them in that area. And they won a lot of national championships in route with so many different combinations. That's why I got them number. That's why I got the number three. Now, controversial one is Florida. Everyone say Florida ran 37-97. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that. Great, awesome, love it, beautiful. I believe Florida's first won one final was 1989. Now, granted. Florida's over Houston because Florida over the last 10 to 12 years have ran under 39 seconds every year. You, you, you know, that's why they're both a Houston who had the record twice. They held the collegiate record twice. And you couldn't say the four by one without seeing the University of Houston throughout the late 70s, 80s, and part through the 90s. So you couldn't really you so but I had to put I had to put Florida over them because they currently have the record, they set a standard. And they also have ran under 39 seconds for like, like I said, 10, 12, 15 years straight. So a lot of people didn't like the list, which is fine. I don't care. Don't debate me. Don't at me. You come for the king. You best not miss. And don't, your God, your arms are too short. Peace. Who, who is was who is number five?
0: Houston. Houston. Houston then Tennessee.
2: Okay,
0: I I I don't have any complaints. Nah, nah, I I ain't gonna debate you. I I think it's a very legit list, and I think I think their top three should be argumentative because it could go any way, depending on whose list it is. You know what I'm saying?
3: And and it was hard, but I had to look at the totality from when the four by one became a a permanent staple in the event. USC, not only do they have some of the like the like the most NC appearances, they set records, they set world records. That goes, that, that's kind of along the lines of USC being quote unquote hurdle you on the men's side because they have the most NCA male hurdle champions. So, you know, you got to look at the totality of stuff and not get caught up in the moment like some mm-hmm. of our peoples did. The year, so, the year, the year USC, USC ran a world record in the 4x4, when they run in the 4x1? Back, okay, so 1967. No, nah, 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 recent, recently. Like
2: when Norman and those guys were there.
3: They ran three. They ran three flat indoors. They ran two fifty. They ran three flat fifty-four indoors, and they ran three flat. They ran two fifty-nine flat outside. But I'm asking, what did that? Did those same guys run on the four
2: by one, or what did the USC four by one run? Oh, at that Michael
3: No. Oh, Michael No. I don't think Michael Even ran on. Yeah, he did, but they only ran like thirty-nine something, which is odd. I'm mean, that. So that was one of the. I was just because I don't remember SC being. Yeah, an, an yeah, yeah they wasn't. They yeah, they didn't have a four by one at the NCAA championships. They, I they, know, no, no, the no, no
0: let's get this question and then we got to give out these roses and then I got to go have my team meet. All right. Yeah. So I'm gonna post it cause it's kind of long, but essentially uh, if there is a chance that there is an indoor and outdoor season, how do we think it will play out? Especially since not every school is allowed to meet or have a fall practice.
2: I, I think it's going to go back to like high school at the end of the day when uh, When our kids are allowed back, so in Mont's case, you know, his kids get there in January. I I don't think he, he might not race them like the first week they're back, but by the end of January, he's gonna get three or four weeks. And then come February, we gotta go. Uh, just like high school, we got finished with basketball. I got a little week off, practice for about two weeks, and I have my
3: first, I have my first high school track meet. It's gonna be a throwback to our high school days to me. And, I'm, I'm, and to make my question, make my response really quick, um, it's going to be either or, either we're going to cancel indoors or they're going to go straight to outdoors, or I'm going to do exactly what Sam said. We're going to use that month of January because we only have to get 50% of our re- meets in. I am mean, use the month of January, get them ready, and then we just head down to South Carolina and we, and we, we, we start running and we handle our business and we get what we get.
0: Yeah, for me, uh, if there is an indoor and people can't be there in the fall, I pray that it doesn't happen, but you run the risk of a lot of injuries. So that's one thing that I see being played out. Uh, I would prefer, if I had it my way, I would prefer that we just not run indoor so we get that time to train if kids aren't going to be on campus, but they can come in January, give me those two to three months to train, then let's get it going outdoor that would be my preference but if indoor is gonna have to be running my athletes can't be here in front of me i think we run the risk of some people being hurt and we just Mm -hmm. have some some piss poor performances to be honest uh that's my all right so let's give out these roses man who's up first
3: uh i will go first all right so these roses long overdue um I'm going to give my roses out to my late great coach, Steve Lynn. You know, it's funny how the recruiting process went between he and I. So in Juco, you know, the Juco life is a struggle. Um, we had no phone. Our home phone was the pay phone up the block. We had beepers and pay phones, okay, like we was in the wire. Um, so we would miss each other, call, whatever the case may be. And then, you know, I left a message on the voicemail that he had, and he would communicate with my mom, just like Coach Anderson did. You know, he would communicate with my mom and they, and they develop a great relationship. Um, between there, I think he spoke to my mom probably about three weeks before he even got a chance to talk to me first. Um, And from there, we just hit it off. And when I went on my visit there, you know, the first day, I was like, you know what, this, I'm coming here. Because of the genuine love that he's had for me and how he took care of me. Not just me, but all the athletes that came before me and the ones that came after me. Um, He saved my life in more ways than one. He was always a mentor. When I needed him, he was there. Um, He gave me my first break into coaching. He brought me up from the ground level up. His family always loved every single one of us. They family loved me. I still talk to their family today. You know when he passed it was in 2013 I was at track practice and literally our guy Charles was right there conducting practice he saw me break down on the back stretch and you know Charles was like yo what happened so what happened and he knew how much that man meant to me and um I was glad that I was able to see him at the convention that December, that December um, convention going into the new year going into 2013. So you know He's he saved a lot of lives. He's given a lot of kids opportunities. He took a, a uncle here from New York City, by the way, at Long Beach, California, Long Beach City College. He took a chance on me. And right now, everything I do, I do for him. I do for his family and I will never let him down. So Coach Lynn and the Lynn family. I give you all roses. Hey, stamps. Uh, I'd like to give
2: my roses uh, to the five guys I, I went to UT with and came in with. Uh, Cameron Howard, Dwayne Bell, Rondell Marchand, rest in peace. Uh, Rocky uh, Danners uh, and Carl Jennings. Uh, my bad, Rocky's not in that. He came in the year after. So Carl, Cameron, Rondell, uh, and Dwayne Bell. You know those guys have been my brothers. We've been in each other's uh, been in, in each other's weddings. Uh, you know. Team has always been something to me that you you really start to appreciate as the years go by. You know, Cameron's like the big brother that a lot of us didn't have. It was close in age. He's always calling, always checking in on us. is uh, doing well in Nashville. Carl um, lost his father to COVID a few months ago, and it felt like, you know, it was my father. I, I saw him a couple of months before um, over the Christmas break, and you know his dad was good um you know Rondell. you know we all uh really struggled very similar to Lamont. Uh, i lost Rondell uh, to a motorcycle accident uh, and that was my first really close friend that, that that we lost um but those guys have always been here to, to support me good bad or indifferent um, they come, come on. visit during the home track needs and come help out at the track needs and, and we just kind of bond hang out fellowship uh, and those guys kept each other. We kept we kept each other accountable. Um, I remember us talking about how we were going to move Tennessee from where we were in the bottom of the SEC uh, to the top of the SEC and then dreams and visions of us being champions one day. Um, so I would like to give my flowers to my brothers, the five uh, that came in to Tennessee that fall of
0: 1998. Yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, So mine, I'm giving mine out, and he may never see this, but my high school coach, John Roberts, man. So Coach Roberts, he retired uh, the year after I graduated. But no no knock to some of the people I went to high school with. I just didn't like my high school. I didn't want to go. The only reason that I went to my high school is because of this track coach. So back in the 90s, Tennessee used to have a Tennessee State Relays. My high school, Central High School in Memphis, they won eight out of 10 years. So that's the type of like stint that he had. And across the board, he would track like our league record. So if you're going into a dual meet, he was undefeated for like 20 years. And my senior year was either my junior, or my senior year. I think we got the first loss and it sucked like in a regular season. But. I can't say I'm here today because of him, but I'm definitely—he's definitely a huge factor in my entire track career. From me even selecting the University of Tennessee, because if it wasn't for the dollars he took out of his pocket to take me and my teammates to those indoor meets, because we didn't have any money, he made that happen. Like running at LSU at the high school meet, running at Arkansas uh, at their high school meet back in the day, indoor like. Putting us sending us to all these track camps out of his pocket, he did all of that out of his pocket, and the things that we were able to do together, uh, historically, uh, Coach John Roberts, man. And I, I check on him from time to time, into tech savvy, but that's who I'm giving my roses to this week. So, awesome. That, is, awesome, that is this week's show, man. Uh, for those of you that tuned in, we appreciate it. This is our first time going live, Lamont speaker work a son internet work. So <laughs> we, uh, we might have to keep just going live, but not recording, you know, so we appreciate the interactions. We appreciate the comments, the questions, we're gonna keep it coming. If there's anything that you all want us to see or bring someone on board, we'll try to get them. Uh, but follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. Uh, it is TAF chatter. So track and field chatter on everything you can find us but i love y'all this has been track chat with the most known unknowns i got my boy lamont johnson (sighs) i am coach kyle i will see y'all next week